The sermon text this morning is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I think it's probably safe to say that most of us love celebrations, whether it's Christmas or your birthday or your anniversary. And if you're uncertain as to whether you, you think you really love these days of celebration, then just remember what happens when someone forgets yours, forgets your birthday or forgets your anniversary. Well, today is a day of celebration. We're celebrating these eight different friends who are being baptized, they've come to faith in Jesus Christ, trusting him alone for their salvation. And so we're going to step out of the normal routine of preaching um, to kind of look at baptism a little more closely. Maybe if I can remind you of a few things that you've already known about the nature of baptism so you can better enjoy what you're going to see following the service. Now, if you're a visitor here, we've been working through the book of Romans And let me just kind of catch you up real quick. The book of Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote it to a church in Rome. And in the first three chapters particularly, he speaks about the nature of the gospel. The gospel is good news that God has saved us in Christ. That he has revealed a righteousness. He shows how men and women can be made right with God through faith. And he does this only after explaining how each one of us, men and women, have struggled to honor God. He says very quickly that God's invisible attributes, his glorious qualities, eternal nature is clearly seen, and yet we don't honor him. We haven't been grateful to him. And so we all stand under the wrath of God, and yet God, who is rich in mercy, has given to us his son Christ. In fact, the Bible says that God gave him as a propitiation. In other words, God gave his son to bear our sins and our wrath, The wrath that was destined for us, he bore for us so that God would look upon us favorably. That God has put forward his son to deliver and to save us. This is the good news that has great power in our life. And that's just in the first three chapters. Chapter four, he begins to speak about Abraham. And Abraham is an example from the Old Testament, because God doesn't change, from the Old Testament of how God's saves us, not by works that we've done, but upon grace. Now, we haven't read chapter 5 yet. We will get to chapter 5 in the fall. But if you were to read chapter 5 later today, you would read about how now that we have been saved by grace through faith, how then do we live? We're no longer living bound to sin with Adam, as it says in the beginning of chapter 5, the middle, but we're actually living by grace, with peace. Forgiveness. It's a sweet union with Christ that brings us to God. And that kind of helps us understand how this chapter 6 begins. Because when you read chapter 6, if you look with me just in the first couple of verses, it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's kind of an odd question. Should we continue to sin? I think Paul's probably facing some challenge from some people in the church that said, well, If I can't earn my way to heaven, and it's only by grace, and if I'm supposed to live in grace and not according to the law, then maybe it doesn't matter really how I live. 
In other words, if God delights to save the ungodly, then do I need to be godly? That's kind of the question. Now, it may be counterintuitive to you. It may be counterintuitive that you just don't make sense. But let me ask you this. If you're a person that really wants the assurance that God loves you, but you also want to live any way you want to live, then it kind of makes sense. And Paul's saying, no, if you're a Christian, if you've died to sin, how? And we understand that our sins pinned him to the tree, then how could we live in that any longer? Paul's encouraging the church to walk holy lives, and he uses their baptism as a reminder. This is why you don't walk in the way of the world. And that's what verses 3, 4, and 5 explain. He's reminding us of the nature of baptism. That's what I want to look at, because baptism is the point of argument that Paul's saying, don't live this way. Baptism is really a visualizing. It's a representing of what God has done for us in Christ. See, baptism doesn't save. It doesn't accomplish salvation. It just kind of pictures it. It's faith. My trust in Jesus Christ alone brings me into union with him, and then I receive his benefits of forgiveness and reconciliation and adoption. Baptism just pictures it. So it's no different than when you make marital vows on your wedding day, and then you exchange rings. Those rings represent those vows. That's what we're going to find in baptism. So I'm just going to take three, make three brief little points, kind of like the ABCs of baptism, just to remind you of the nature of it. And each point will be after each letter, ABC of baptism. So first, baptism acknowledges Those being baptized, they acknowledge they have died in the death of Christ. So baptism means that I'm acknowledging to everyone that I've died in the death of Christ. Look with me in verse 3, because you'll see that. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, just a couple small points here. Do you not know? Paul's not giving a new teaching here. He is simply reminding them of what they already knew. And he says that all of us have been baptized. There was never anyone contemplating the idea of actually believing in Jesus and not being baptized. Anyone who believes in Jesus would follow that faith with this demonstration of faith in baptism. I just want to highlight that to you. The point that often causes confusion is what he says there when he says, do you not know that all of us have been baptized? into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. It seems so abstract. What does it mean to be baptized into his death? Well, simply put, I would would say this. To be baptized into his death, so when you see the baptisms take place, they go into the water, to be baptized into his death is simply to identify with him. That you are identifying with Christ, that in his death you died. That he died your death that he died as a substitute for you, that you needed him to die for you, that by faith God unites us with Christ and we are identifying with him saying, by faith I believe that I need his death to break the power of sin and to bear the penalty of my sin. That's what he means by dying. This isn't a work that you do, it's passive. It's being done for you or to you. You're not doing this. He has died for you. But notice he follows it with burial. Why burial? Well, I think, I think Paul's trying to show us that Jesus Christ actually died. He was buried as well. 
See, see, when you think of baptism, when you see what you're going to see, the word baptism just means to dip or to plunge or to immerse. When you see it in secular Greek literature, it's used of boats that sink under the water or bodies that sink under the surface and drown. Baptism always involves this idea of going under and even dying. In fact, the baptism is like a funeral. When you see the trough out there, it's eight feet long by two feet wide, it will be like a coffin. There is a death that takes place. But in what sense do we die? Well, I don't think he means biological. I don't, I don't think he means that human functions cease unless I really hold you down long. But I won't. I had to assure everybody of that. How long do I get held down? Long enough. No, it's not that. It's a death to our old way of life. It's a death to me being at the center of my universe. It's, it's a death to me seeing how all of life must come through me. It's a death to my, to my valuing status and position. It's, it's a death to my own trust in my morality or the way that I live my life as presenting it to God that He would accept me. It's a death to the relationships that I may have that turn aside from me when I follow Christ in identification. Carol reminded me yesterday of a man that we baptized back when we were in Austria. Forget his last name now, but he was a Muslim. He became a Christian. And when we baptized him and he notified his family, uh, they disowned him. His father had a business. I don't, as I said, I don't remember his last name, but it was something in sons. After he was baptized, it was something in son. It wasn't him anymore. Uh, there's a death that takes place. There, there's a giving up of trying to appeal to God based on your efforts. There's a, a, an identification of, I don't have enough. I'm inadequate. I must identify with his death. He must die for me. You know, if you're not a Christian here, you're just thinking about the faith, this is a really important point because I think a lot of times the church receives the criticism that it's full of hypocrites. You know, perhaps you've heard that or perhaps you've said that. Hypocrisy, of course, is I'm saying one thing and yet I'm doing another. And yet in baptism, it erodes any charge of hypocrisy because the person is standing up saying, I'm a sinner. I, I need help. I am broken. I, I'm, and they do it in front of hundreds of people. They're saying, I don't have enough. I have to identify with Christ who has died for me. So it, it, it's, the, it's the highest form of moral honesty. There's nothing, there's no facades going up when they stand before you and testify that they need a Savior, that they need to be delivered. But there's another thing I think that this death refers to, not just death to our old way of life. There's also death to the fear that we have of death. There should be a death to the fear that we have of death. You know, we often sing the song, it is not death to die. See, for the Christian who unites himself with Christ and who dies with Christ, there is no more fear, for in Christ we have already died. There is no death that we, that we, that we need to fear over. This is something we need to consider. You know, just wrote a report that every year, 60 million people die in this world. 60 million every year. Five and a half years, this country is empty. 
60 million people die every year. How often do you contemplate the reality of your own death? We are like grass, the scripture says. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. We have an incredible capacity in this Western world to kind of insulate ourselves to the reality that we're aging and we're dying every day. People are being buried, 60 million a year. For the one being baptized, you will die today. You don't need to fear. You know, the scripture talks about, the Bible talks about two deaths, physical and spiritual. There'll be a physical death, no doubt, for each one of us here, if, if the Lord tarries. But you will never undergo a spiritual death. You'll never undergo separation from God. Paul says, neither life nor death will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus as you're yoked in him. But if you're a non-Christian here, I'd ask you to consider it. I would ask you to consider the reality of your own mortality. I'd ask you to give consideration to the brevity of life and that you might consider how Christ alone has died and been raised again for life and that through faith in him alone, you too will live with him forever. So that's, that's the A of baptism. If we go A, B, C of baptism, baptism means we acknowledge that we are going to die with Christ in baptism, die to our old way of life, die to our fear of death. But then there's the B. What's the B for? Well, baptism means that we believe God has raised us to new life. Look with me in verse 4. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, you have to enter death to have new life. Don't you see that? In order that, in other words, he is raising us to this newness of life. That's what he's speaking about here. And this newness of life comes by the glory of the Father. He draws that comparison. Do you see that? Just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too will you have new life. So when the person comes out of the water, and the water runs over their body and washes away the filth, that they are beginning a new life. And that word for newness means freshness, or it can even mean strangeness. There's something strange. There's a difference in the way that they live, that they're now being given by the Spirit of God power to walk a new life, to walk differently, that their minds are being transformed. The attitudes and actions of life change. Uh, the power of sin is being broken, that you can begin walking out a different way of living. This is what Jesus means when he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he be born again. You have to be born again. That, that old nature of self-centeredness has to be taken out and God has to put a new nature in, which then gives you the ability by God's grace to walk in a new way. Now, please hear me clearly. This doesn't mean when a person's baptized, they're not going to stop sinning. It surely doesn't mean that you won't be tempted to sin and it doesn't mean you won't fall down repeatedly. What he's saying, I think, is that you finally have a real choice to make. You can actually follow God for his glory and not selfish ends. You're no longer under the burden and the master of sin and selfishness. You can actually begin to change. You can begin to live a, a, a different new life. I think that's what Paul's saying in Galatians when he says that I've been crucified with Christ. Now, he wasn't technically 
He's speaking spiritually. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a different life. Christ now dwells within you. It's pictured as they come out of the water. It begins that new life. This is really the only way that we can change, really. Uh, This is how God reforms us. It's not through our self-made, self-generated efforts. God has to do a work. And you hear this in 1 Corinthians when Paul's writing to the church, and we get a snapshot of the population of that church in Corinth when he says this, Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That's what made up the church. That's what they were. They aren't now. He says, you were washed, baptism. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He changes us. What does the world have to offer? A life coach? New Year's resolutions? Personal reformation projects? I'm not saying those are horrible things. They just can't change the soul of a person. Only God who creates can give new life to you that you live. That's what's pictured when they come out of the waters. It's an incredible idea. That's B, right? You believe. Yes, God is giving us new life. But the C, the C of baptism, baptism means that we celebrate that future resurrection that we will have that will be like his. Look in verse 5. He says, if we're united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's a future tense. We're looking forward now that when they come out of the water, they have one eye trained on the newness of this life and they have one eye trained on what they will be like when they see him. The Apostle John says it this way. In his first letter, he says, when we see him, we'll be like him. We'll be made new. We'll be restored. Jesus Christ came and said, I have come to make all things new. And that is a full renewal of who we are. That's the day we have to look forward to. That's what we're looking at. When they come out of the water, they're thinking about that day. In fact, it's that future hope of grace that every Christian has. It's a future hope of grace. And the joy that that provides is what gives us the strength now to walk in this life. That promise that God has given to us pours back its power, if you will, into our lives now. So that when you're struggling and walking through the issues of the day, you have one eye trained on that day that I will be like him. I will have a resurrection like his. So when you think about this baptism, it's really quite similar to the Lord's Supper. When we break the the bread and we share the cup, we are reminded to look back at the sins that have been paid for that we will never face. We do look forward to the covenant that's established with us in the blood of Christ. It's relevant today. It's powerful today. And it reminds us to look forward to that celebration that we'll have with him in the kingdom of God. Baptism's kind of the same way. We look back. We are united with him in death. It looks forward. Right now, we have newness of life, but it looks forward to that day we'll be made like him as he is. So what we have for you, and I'm excited to share this, is a video of testimonies of dear friends that have given word to the work of God in their life. They only get a few minutes, but boy, I tell you, you're going to find that they really utilize that time well. 
and sweet. They're going to share with us. They can't share all that God has done. I would encourage you, even at this baptism, to ask one. Tell me more about what God has done for you. Tell me more about how he has changed your life. They're going to testify. Some of these people giving testimonies have been faithful believers for many years, but they've come to a deeper, a fuller understanding of what it means to be baptized, immersion, following faith, and, and they want to be baptized in obedience to the words of Christ. We do this as a community. We do it as a church together. Why? Well, because it gives the, the person being baptized a chance to testify, to acknowledge, I yoke myself to Christ. I align myself with him. I unite myself with him by faith. In him is the hope that I hold. And so it gives them a chance to testify. But it also gives us a chance to listen and to affirm what they say. We can affirm what we see in their life in accordance with what they say. It also gives us a chance to walk with them now to incubate and to cultivate the faith. See, the that's why baptism and church membership are very close friends. You know, the justice of the peace at the courthouse, he will perform a wedding ceremony for someone he doesn't know the day before. They come, he performs a ceremony, and he never sees them again. It's different with baptism. Baptism is not a ceremony like that. You're being brought into the body of Christ. And the body of Christ has its visible expression in the local church. And so when a person is baptized, they enter the church where we then walk together, preparing ourselves, persevering until that day that we see him face to face. So when you see these baptisms, you're going to see really the, the convergence of Christ accomplishing salvation for us and Christ applying salvation in us. You're going to see the gospel applied. You're going to see the gospel actualized as they go into the water, uniting themselves with Christ in death, coming out of the water, beginning a walk of newness of life with an eye trained on that day that they'll have a, a resurrection like his and like ours. So let me pray for us for a moment, and then we'll begin these, these lovely and wonderful testimonies. Father, thank you for the grace that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. You have met us in our deepest undeliverable mess of life and you've saved us you've borne our sins you've carried our shame you have done all that is necessary even being crushed for our sin that you that you might bring us back to god forever god may the truth of your glorious gospel redound to your glory in the hearts of the men and women here may christ be held in high esteem as these dear souls testify to your mercy let me pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.